Today on Abounding Grace, we're talking about bread that completely satisfies. This is amazing grace. Join us as we study through the Bible and learn of Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you ever been so hungry or thirsty you could hardly think straight? We know what to do when that occurs, reach for a glass of water or make ourselves something to eat. But what do we do to satisfy our spiritual hunger and thirst? Well, today on Abounding Grace, we learn the answer is in Jesus. Here's Pastor Ed in John chapter 6. You can look it up, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. If Jesus came to not, be, not to be served, then that's our heart. We're not interested in being Christian celebrities that are untouchable or, or people that think they're better than anyone else. We're not. We're all sin and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us, which means we all need the grace of God. And when we open up now in John chapter 6, in verse 22, where we left off last time, you'll see that Jesus is not impressed with the crowds. Nobody gets away with anything in front of Jesus. Pick up with me in verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. That's one of the longest sentences in all the Gospel of John. But John is explaining to us that there was a crowd. Jesus was, was with his disciples. His disciples take off. Jesus isn't with them. They want to find him, and they follow him. And so they go from Tiberias, which is on the southwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and they come up over to Capernaum, which is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and they find him. And they come to him, notice, and it says in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, now pause there for a second because Jesus demonstrates something so wonderful that I want you to learn and we could learn to be better at this. The question is this, Rabbi, when did you come here? I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, he never answers this question. He doesn't even address it except that he does take it in their curiosity and their question, and he turns it into an opportunity to not only share the gospel with them, but give them a strong or a mild, depending on how you look at it, depending on where they were at, rebuke and correction in their thinking, and lays before them some of the most beautiful words on the gospel of Jesus that he's ever shared. And I believe it's good for us to learn how to take any topic, what people are into, as we're building bridges, because that's really what we're doing. We're not, we're not seeking to convert people because we can't convert people. But when I'm connecting with a person, I'm looking to, for a friendship to build a bridge with them so that when I build that bridge and we're connected, I can take them back with me to the cross. 
So I'll talk about, and I like to learn about anything. I'm not the sharpest guy around, but I can learn and I can read and I can study. So if there's something I know that that somebody's into, I want to read up on it. I want to find out about it. I I want to be able to connect on that. I want to show interest in that. I want to show them, hey, last time we were talking, you know, you said you were into this. And and I'm not really into that because I'm kind of this techie kind of guy and you're into fishing. But I did look up a few things about fishing and you throw a hook into the water, right? And I go, oh, you care? Yeah, and this kind of hook. And I'm like, I didn't read that much, you know? It's like, and you tie it. But, but learning about fishing so that I can connect with somebody on fishing and then bring them back and go, you know what? A lot of the followers of Jesus, they were um, fishermen. Really? Yeah, do you ever read the Bible? And you can take something so, so important to someone, but really, you know, isn't, isn't spiritual and turn it into something spiritual. It's a great, ta- it's a great tool to have in your ministry toolbox when you're sharing the gospel with people. That's what Jesus does here. When did you get here? He's not even going to answer it, but he is going to give him an answer, verse 26. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now, it was a little bit of an effort for them to catch up to Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to come up the side and skirt the edge. It was, a, it was some effort to them. There wasn't roads, and they didn't hop on a car. They labored. It took some time and effort on their part. He takes that, as well as their hunger, because they're physically hungry, and he turns it into an answer that basically says, first of all, in verse 26, just understand, nobody gets away with anything in the presence of Jesus, both then and now. Like none of us will get away with anything in the presence of the Lord. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, I'm getting away with stuff right now. Not really. You might be fooling me, me, and you might be fooling somebody you know, but you're not fooling the Lord. Everything is open before him. He knows. Not only that, but even though you're fooling us for a while, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the things that you're doing in secret are going to be shouted from the rooftops. Like it will be open. You know, uh, I I forget who it was. It might have been Dale Moody that said, Carefully concealed sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Like there's nothing hidden. Here, nobody's getting away with it. They came to Jesus, they're hungry, they want food. And Jesus says, man, you guys aren't even following me for the right reasons. But let me tell you this. Stop laboring for food that's going to go away. Stop it. You're wasting your life. You're laboring for food that's just going to perish. It's going to go. He gives them two types of food. Food that perishes and food that endures. Food that disappears and food that lasts. Food for the body and food for the soul. And Jesus uses this as the beginning of a time of exhortation and teaching. He says, don't labor for the food that perishes. But instead, invest your life, spend your life, labor in your life, settle with the things that are going to last spiritually. Those things that are eternal, like the word of God. You know, the word of God is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus said, will by no means pass away. You know, the souls of men, they're eternal. The the characteristics of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the presence of His Spirit in our lives, faith, hope, and love, those are eternal. They're going to last. So invest your life in God's Word. Invest your life in God's people and, and in people in general that Jesus died for. Love God's people. Love God's Word. Labor in God's Word. Labor for people. Because only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Jesus will last. You know, Jesus said this a different way in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, 
I don't know how many of us have learned that lesson far too many times where you just labor for things that aren't gonna last. I mean, we learned that just a couple years ago. We were just talking about it. We learned that when our house burned down. You know, it didn't burn to the ground, but because of the fire in our kitchen and being away, the smoke destroyed everything in our house. Everything. We had to move out for months and go through the whole insurance process and let them rebuild our house from the inside out. And, and things that were important to us before, not so important anymore. We didn't even know we had that. You're going through stuff, whoa. Or we didn't even know we lost that. The Lord was just kind of show us, using that situation in our lives to reveal to us how important things were to us. Or even in our lives throughout the losses that we've experienced. Like the Lord is showing us that he is eternal, he is worth our time, and he, he is not going to leave us or forsake us. It's the same for you. Verse 28 says, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Isn't that the question of the day? Isn't that what people are asking? Now, I know, I know you don't have people. I, I can't really ever once in all the years I've been walking with the Lord, has anyone come up to me and said, Ed, what shall I do to work the works of God? No, they ask it like this. They don't use the phrase, but this is how they ask it. How do I get to heaven? What do I need to do to be right with God? I've been reading the Bible, but I just don't get it. I don't understand. What is this all about God? And, and, and I hear people ask those questions all the time. And they're good people and they're, they're wanting to be good. But good is not, you'll see in a moment, being good is not the work of God. Here's the work of God. Here's Jesus' answer. This is what he says in verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's the answer. The answer is believing God. Trusting him. Placing your faith in him. Therefore they said to him, verse 30, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And don't you scratch your head? Wasn't it just a few days ago he fed thousands of people? What do you want to see? You know, there are people, there are people in our lives that no matter what you say and no matter what you do, they still refuse to believe. You can give them every Bible answer and they refuse to believe. They'll come up with another question. You can demonstrate the love of God by giving and loving and sharing and and being the kind of example that reflects the love of Jesus Christ and still they refuse to believe. And the reality of belief is not what God is going to show you, it's what God has already shown you. The demonstration of the love of God is Jesus hanging on a cross, dying for your sins and for mine. And this is a human condition. They even use a little bit of the Bible as they go back in verse 31. Notice, our fathers ate the manna. They're talking about food. So here's the example of the Bible. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. But Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. They had a little bit of a celebrity mindset of elevating Moses so high. And and it's like Jesus saying, Moses didn't give them manna. Moses didn't give that. God did. God gave them manna. He says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Did you notice that? What is the bread of God? The bread of God, verse 33, is he. That full satisfaction, the satisfaction to your life has been given to you in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not of our good works. It doesn't depend upon us. According to the Bible, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works so that we won't boast in what we've done for God. But rather we're saved by grace through faith, sealed by his spirit, by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. 
Jesus is trying to deepen their understanding and ours of the truth. And that's what a true teacher will do. Take time to explain and develop the content and the information that will help us grow in the things of God. And here for them, one of their problems is they need to get their eyes off Moses and get their eyes back on God. They need to get their eyes off of the law and into the new covenant that's standing right in front of them, the true bread. So what does he say in verse 35? Well, excuse me, in verse 34, they're like, well, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life, verse 35. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You'll notice we're picking up on a theme back in chapter 4. If you want to turn there real quick, when he was talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, he said the same thing. He told her in chapter 4, verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I'll give them will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You can jot it down, but over in chapter 7, Jesus says the same thing. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, as the priest would come up without water because it's complete and finished, Jesus then takes that opportunity and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Or the psalmist in Psalm 42, one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible, when it says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You see, in Jesus Christ, our spiritual hunger and thirst is completely satisfied. So back now in chapter 6, as we close up in verse 37, verse 36, he says, I said to you that you've seen me, but you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. By the way, I I didn't mention it, but in verse 35 when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's claiming to be God there. That phrase, I am, if you're taking notes, you can cross-reference it with Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where God reveals himself. Moses says, who am I supposed to say sent me? And God tells him, you tell them I am sent you. And it's a very technical phrase that speaks of the eternality and the God saying, I'm the becoming one. Well, Jesus is associating himself with that phrase. He does it again in John chapter 8, verse 58. Again, cross-reference it. And the reason why this is important, because he says there in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. And one of the reasons this is important, because you'll get a knock on the door by folks coming in and saying, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. He did multiple times. This I am statement, I am the bread of life, there are six other statements in the Gospel of John, if you want to find them for homework, six other times that Jesus says I am that reflect a portion of his deity. Like here, I am the bread. This, I'm the only way to salvation. I'm the bread of life. If you take of me, you'll never thirst. You'll never be hungry. You'll have eternal life. So very, very important piece there. In verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me will by no means, uh, will, I will no means cast out. This is an area that the devil loves to attack in your life. Because you get to the place in your life where you think, you know, I, I think I do need God in my life. I think I might check that church out, or I might read that book that my mom gave me, or I might, you know, you are scanning through the radio tired of some music you're listening to and a pastor comes on and what he's sharing just resonates with your heart and you're in that place where I think I I I think I need I think I need God in my life and you don't quite know how to formulate it or what to say but as you're taking steps toward God 
there's this thought in your mind, but wait a minute, how could God love a person like me? Do you know what I've done in my past? And a lot of times you battle with me as a pastor, you don't do it out loud, but you do it in your head. Or I'm taking you right to the cross and then you're like, well, pastor, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've been into. You don't even know what I did last night. And you'd be right, I don't. I don't know what you're into. I don't know what you were doing last night. I don't know how bad you are or how bad you've been. But I do know this. When the Father gives you to the Son and you come, you won't be cast out. God forgives you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to deliver you from the very bad things that you've been stuck in. That's how I walked into a church. Not only did I not want anything to do with God, but I also had that thought, there's no way He could forgive me. I've mistreated my wife. I've mistreated my son. uh, And and those are are small words. I, I could use much stronger words to describe the life that I lived apart from Jesus Christ. What would God want anything to do with someone like me? Surely there are better people on the earth than me. Surely it would be okay if I just disappeared and threw my life away. And yet the love of God continued to come through a pastor just like, he, just like I'm doing right now with a Bible open reminding me, no, no, God loves you. And if, when God gives you to the Son and you come, you won't be cast out. Now, I want to point something out to you in verse 37 that you may or may not know about, but this, there is great debate in the church today between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. It just seems to be a whole segment of the church that loves to argue about those things, that loves to make it a big deal. And you might even come and, and somebody will ask you, are you a Calvinist or are you Arminiist? And, and those are words just reflecting two men that made two human systems of theology that each one of them are not entirely accurate. Calvinism was a man by the name of John Calvin. He came up with a system of theology known today as Calvinism that emphasizes the sovereignty of God. You know, the Bible clearly teaches the sovereignty of God. And, and in response, it was in response to a man by the name of Jacobus Arminius. That's where we get the word Arminianism. And some of you are like, I've never heard that before. Well, this is in preparation in case anybody tries to dump this on you, where, where they go, man, are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminian? And the guys that argue about it never give you a third option. They, they never give you an option just to follow the Bible. You know, do you follow Calvin? No. Do you follow Arminius? No. This is what the Bible says. From the lips of Jesus, he speaks of both the sovereignty of God and the free will of man in the same sentence, in the same breath. So if you were to ask me this question, Pastor, do you you and your church believe in the sovereignty of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Notice, it's the Father, verse 37, that gives. That's the sovereignty of God. It's the Father that gives. He alone gives salvation. He alone is the author and finisher of, of our salvation. He alone saves. Man doesn't save. Church doesn't save. Religion doesn't save. And because I believe in the so- sovereignty of God doesn't make me a Calvinist. I believe what the Bible teaches, the sovereignty of God. And we've looked at it in depth when we studied in Romans. We looked at the, the broad banner of the sovereignty. What a beautiful, rest, restful, joyful doctrine. To know that God is in control. It's beautiful. It's glorious. Jesus says so. That the Father gives. But also notice, the Father gives, there are those that still need to come. And not only do they need to come, but they also need to believe. That's the free will of man. Well, do I believe in the free will of man? Absolutely. Man will be responsible for all of his decisions. God will not be responsible for your sin and mine. He's not. You and I make decisions. And, and we can choose to come or we can choose not to come. We can choose to believe or we can choose not to believe. Jesus was very clear. And he says it in one verse. Both the sovereignty of God 
and the free will of man. I believe in both of them. Why? Because the Bible teaches both. And you go, wait a minute, Ed. How does it work? How do they reconcile? How can God be sovereign at the same time I can make a free will decision? Let me give you the answer. I have no idea. I really, it, it's, it's a mystery. I mean, I can work through and I can show you examples of it. But to reconcile them, I love what Charles Spurgeon once said. You know, that great preacher of many years ago, one of his members came to him and said, how do you reconcile, you know, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? And his answer was classic. He said, I never try to reconcile friends. I never try to reconcile friends. These are two parallel doctrines of the gloriousness of God and the creation and the responsibility of man. And Jesus says them both here. Do you know that's also in the most famous verse in all the Bible in John 3.16? It's everywhere, actually. You'll see it everywhere. But just turn back a couple pages to John chapter 3, verse 16. But I don't want to miss this. so powerful. The free will of man and the sovereignty of God are right there in John 3.16 as well. Where Jesus is teaching Nicodemus and he says, For God so loved the world that he, what? What does your Bible say? Gave. This is God. He gave. He gave without any movement on man. He gave of his own sovereign choice, his own power. He was moved by love and he gave so that what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gives, you and I believe. They go together. I like the old King James. It says whoever in the new King James, but the old King James says whosoever. That's a beautiful word, whosoever. Whoever, whosoever, it's a pretty big word, isn't it? You know who it includes? All of you. God gave so that whoever, whosoever believes will have eternal life. And that's the invitation to you today. Will you believe? You go, Ed, well, I don't want to believe. It's on you. It's not on God. I think that there's a battle, even as you dialogue with me, that you do, you, you do sense your need for God, and yet there's something you don't want to give up. There's an area of your life you're not willing to surrender. And yeah, you know, the Jesus that I just preached to you a little bit today, it's not popular, is it? It's not going to be easier. You're not going to be able to mix in and do your own thing and say, well, you know, I'm a believer. Like, God hates sin in our lives. He sent Jesus to die. He wants to rescue us from a miserable life. He wants to rescue us from bondage and addiction and all the things that he, he sent Jesus. You know, he is the bread of life. And as you close up in the section, notice, for I have come down, verse 38, from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that he's given, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, verse 40, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up the last day. Not only salvation, but security and safety in him. Whoever, whosoever sees and believes, God has already done the work to reach out. The truth is today you can know that you're saved. You can leave here with the assurance of your salvation. God has given you, God has spoken to you, and now it's up to you to come. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher and the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime of the day or night at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. 
And we have a couple of podcasts as well. You can listen to Abounding Grace and Lead to Serve wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, By the way, that's Lead, the number two, Serve. In it, Pastor Ed discusses the value of servant leadership. Today, we want to tell you about Pastor Ed's book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. I don't have to convince you that people are suffering in large measure all around us. And maybe that someone is you, with a war going on, rising inflation, gas prices through the roof, and a virus that doesn't seem to go away. Many are anxious and greatly troubled. Well, God wants to meet you right where you're at. And this book will remind you that Jesus will bring you through your trial, and you're not alone. Request a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart today. Maybe order an extra one, too, and give it to a friend. We'll send it to you for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it at calvaryco.store on the web. And please remember that your gifts help to make this program possible. We look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online, aboundinggraceradio.com, or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that's going to do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will again open the Gospel of John in search of abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.